You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Good morning, everyone. Happy Lord's Day. I don't know if you knew that uh, the word for Sunday in, um, in Greek, you know, if you go to Greece, the word for Sunday is literally Lord's Day. Kyriaki means the Lord's Day. So um, that's what they call Sunday. So happy, happy Lord's Day. Um, which is a New Testament term, if you didn't know that. It's used in the book of the Revelation. Um, so in uh, chapter 1. But we're going to be talking about Daniel, and I think it's going to be very helpful, helpful for you to have a copy of Daniel. And it, it turns out that, I've, I, that as I walked in, I saw about 5,000 Bibles for sale. <laughs> so anybody, if you don't have one this week, you'll, you can get one for next week. And also, they're free on phones. If you didn't know that, in the, in the various app stores. Uh, there's a sheet up here if you want to grab it. Uh, and uh, So you might find that very helpful uh, as well. I just think it would be sort of hard, not impossible, but just a, a little bit hard to follow some of the details if you if you don't have Daniel in, in front of you as we talk about these things, but you know, some people are a lot smarter than I am, and they can they can get they can do this. Um, uh, we're going to take uh, a couple of Sundays, then there's a break. What is the break on January 22nd? Because I'm not scheduled for that day. It's uh, That's the parish, parish meeting. Parish meeting. Parish meeting. Okay. All right. And uh, and then we come back for another a couple of Sundays if you're going to be here. But we're going to be talking about the the uh, interpreting Daniel's visions. <laughs> that is not an easy topic if, you, if you're unfamiliar with it, but I suspect most of you are. And I'll just simply throw some things out uh, to think about the way uh, that I would approach it and, and uh, ideas I have, and then uh, you can freely uh, challenge them, by all means, uh, or add to them and help everybody in, in what you've learned over the years of reading these books and trying to understand them. We're all trying to work together, you know, to just understand God's Word and what he reveals to us uh, through it. So uh, we'll talk about uh, symbols today, just sort of the, the very concept of symbols, a little bit about, the, we may talk about this map, we'll see how far we get into it. Uh, that's just the structure of Daniel, don't be over, too overwhelmed by that. Uh, and then we're going to next week talk about geography and time. And then when we come back the last two uh, weeks, we'll do um, what I'll call the internal logic of a vision. That might be the most valuable day, to be honest, of the four. Because just in my experience, it's the one people tend to miss the most. Uh, and then uh, the fourth one, the last one, uh, which is um, how to use the interpretations of the visions which are in the text, right? The visions usually are followed by some interpretation right there in the text. And in my experience, sometimes that just creates more controversy. In fact, a lot of these visions in Daniel, people have told me in the Bible studies, they rarely ever get to them. And partly because they're kind of wild and people don't, there's a lot of controversy and things like that. Um, there's a couple sheets here if you, if you want them. Uh, David can take care of that. Uh, and I'd save this, by the way, because if I don't talk about it today, I'll probably talk about it another Sunday. Uh, oh, I'm Bill Wartman by the way. Uh, I teach part-time at uh, Samford University in classics and then run... I this is Gerald Bray's class. Oh, sorry. That's, a, that's across the way. Is he teaching? Yeah. Oh, why are you here? <laughs> uh, oh, that's right. You can be here. There you go. Um, 
So, uh, and then I run IPUB, Institute for the Public Understanding of the Bible, uh, where we promote meaningful conversation about the Bible with the non-believing. So I spend most of my days trying to think about how to have yet another conversation with people who did pretty much disagree with most of the things you will hear here at the Cathedral Church of the Advent. Uh, and that's quite an interesting experience. I'm a lapsed atheist, uh, so I became a Christian uh, some years ago, but I was uh, raised in a secular home and was uh, was an atheist until I was in university. And so I tend to talk to a lot of people, not all atheists, some just skeptics and non-believers, ex-Christians and so on, Muslims, Jews, whatever. Um, and I'll, I might mention more about that in the coming weeks. So I'd like to just begin by reading uh, a few parts of Daniel, and, I, and I'm going to give you something to do. Because <laughs> otherwise you'll just fade away, you know how that goes. Uh, so I want to see if you can figure out what's common to all these verses. And, I, and I'm going to encourage you. It's really not that hard. But at the same time, if we get a couple verses into it and you think this is kind of hard, <laughs> then, um, well, there's nothing I can do at that point. All right. So chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. He brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. And then let's go to chapter 2 and verse 31. We're going to have to run through just about five chapters few verses each chapter. So chapter 5, verse 31 says, uh, this is referring to the dream image that Nebuchadnezzar has seen of this giant man. Uh, it says, you saw, O king, in your dream, uh, and behold, a great image, this image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron, and partly of clay. And then chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits, and its breadth 6 cubits. And then in chapter 4, verse 13. Sorry to do this to you, running through so many verses at once. Anyone think they already have an inkling? Hmm. I saw in the visions, chapter 4, verse 13, of my head, this is Daniel, see, uh, uh, rather Nebuchadnezzar, seeing the great image of a tree that reaches up to heaven. And he says, uh, I saw in the visions of my head, this is Nebuchadnezzar again, and, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said, Thus chop down the tree, lop off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze. And then in chapter 5 and verse 1, chapter 5 and verse uh, 1, skipped it, there it is, uh, King Belshazzar made a great feast uh, for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand, verse 3. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, drank from his wives and his concubines hmm, at the party, 
they drink wine and praise the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. All right, that's half the book. Did anyone pick up uh, on what is repeated in all those verses? Um, hmm. Images, precious metals. Yes, precious metals weren't there. What were some of the metals that were kept getting mentioned? Gold, silver, bronze, iron. And these were found in the visions, right? That is to say, when God provided the vision, He could have provided the vision however He wanted to. So if He provides a vision for Nebuchadnezzar to see, and it has gold and iron and bronze and so on in the vision, then God has chosen to do that. And if He sees a tree, and it's cut down at the stump, and then it's bound, its stump is bound with bands of iron and bronze, it's God who chose those metals. And, uh, and then there were the vessels from the temple that were taken uh, to, to Babylon. And we're told that when they drank out of those vessels, they praised the gods of gold and silver. So what were these temple vessels in Jerusalem made out of? Gold, gold silver, bronze... And who decided what the metals would be? That were who, cre who created the blueprint plans for the temple? God. You see? Do you see the theme now? It's God who's chosen these metals. And they keep coming up chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter in the visions, at least in the first half of the book. So here's an example of a very obvious symbol. God is choosing what the symbol is going to be, and he's using this, these metals, these precious metals, in a, I don't know if we call iron a precious metal, but metals anyway, in a variety of ways in the visions, as well as in the temple. Uh, so, we see that, and now we're just going to stop for a second. We'll come back to it. What's the point of that? That's, that's, I mean, that's what I'm wondering. What's the point of it? God is sovereign. He chose these things. But what's the meaning of it? What's the meaning of it in the visions themselves? That's, that's the question. Because that's what we're trying to do when we're reading these visions, is get at what the basic truth of them is. So, say it again. Hierarchy. Uh, yeah, hierarchy, sure. So, um, what I want to do is just talk about symbols in general first. The idea of symbols. Why would God even bother to use symbols? It seems to create so much confusion, doesn't it? What does this mean? Anybody ever done a Bible study on the book of the Revelation? How'd that go? Everybody just agreed on what the symbols were, right? Eh? Not always. Uh, and so, if you're like me, you know, in your honest moments, when you get to the car and you just have the truth <laughs> between you and your love... <laughs> You sort of wonder, don't you? Why all these symbols? Why so much obfuscation? Why so much confusion? And in fact, we even sort of get it into our heads that that's what the point almost of the symbols are, is obfuscation, darkness. And so, when we come to something like the book of the Revelation, what commonly happens is we say something like, or the end of Daniel, or the latter heart part of Daniel especially, with the, the visions, is we say things like, well, let's see, okay, um, what does this represent? 
and we try to decode it as if it's a uh, as if it's a game of Pictionary. You know, you know, you've played that with the family, have you? At some, do you still play Pictionary? I don't even know. They still okay. So you, someone draws, or they have variations on that anyway. Games, and you someone draws a picture. You know, I hate those games because I'm not really that good of an artist. And it's like you're. Why not just have a game that says everybody who's good at art go over here, and everybody who's bad go over here. You that are good, you win, and then that's it. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> so Pictionary, you're trying to decode the symbol, right? And get like the movie it's representing or something. You know, the movie title, Mission Impossible Three, whatever. So. You're trying to decode it. And then once you get the answer, that's it. You don't really care about the drawing anymore. You got the answer. So that's the way we frequently are approaching these visions with their symbols in the Bible. We say, oh, okay, well, um, here's this uh, creature <laughs> you know, in the middle of the Revelation, some sort of wild, grotesque creature. What is that? How can we decode that? Oh, well, this part represents this, and this represents... And that's what this creature is. Okay, it represents, I don't know, Israel, let's say. Just pick something. It represents Israel. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So that's Israel now. So now for the rest of the chapter, and whenever I see that creature referred to, I just say, well, that's Israel. By the way, I'm not saying any creatures in Revelation are are represent Israel. I'm just giving a... So the whole time we read it, all then we do is just read it as Israel. That is an unfortunate waste. That is the wrong way to approach these symbols and these visions. Okay? So, maybe I should have just shown that instead of saying it. Right? But maybe saying it will get some people's attention. Uh, That I don't think is the right way. So, let's take, for example... When, uh, just to stick with Revelation for a moment, let's take when John has his first vision, the heavens are opened, and he sees the throne. That's what it says. I saw the throne fixed. Okay? Now, listen. And then it says, and him who sat on the throne, right? But the whole time, he's talking about the throne and what happens before the throne and around the throne and what comes out of the throne. So let's say, I'm going to go do some Bible research. What is the throne? What is the throne? Oh, that's God. That's God. Oh, okay. All right. Great. Okay. So that's God. Now, a little bit later, it says that uh, he has a, a, a scroll and it has seven seals on it. And he's, John's wondering who's worthy to open the, the seals. And then he sees... Do you want to know what he sees? He sees a lion. What did you say? Well, I didn't hear what you said. The li- yeah, he does see that too. But first he sees a lion. Anyone know who the lion is? Well, that's, that's Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, of the root of David. That's Jesus. So that's Jesus. Okay, I got that. That's Jesus. All right. And then, a couple of verses later, he looks again and he sees a slain lamb, a butchered lamb. Anyone know who that is? Anyone want to guess? That's Jesus. That's Jesus too. All right? So I've got God, and then I have Jesus, and I have Jesus again. So now I'm just going to read this passage as I've got God and I have Jesus. 
Mm-mm. I mean, that's true. That's true so far as it goes. But that's not why God gave the symbols, as if they're obfuscating some truth and you're to decode it. And once you decode it, you dispense with the symbol. It's the reverse, actually. The symbol is for revelation. That's why the book is called The Revelation. It's revealing the truth about things. And the symbol is being used to highlight, to reveal the truth, not to obfuscate. Okay? Of course the lamb is Jesus. Of course the lion is Jesus. Even, even you know, young Christians can get that one, right? So, the point is for revelation. Well, what do you mean by revelation? Well, it means that the symbol has an obvious connotation. Okay? And the obvious connotation is the thing that is revealing some truth about the scene. Okay? So let's take the throne, for example. John is writing the book of the Revelation on the island of Patmos. Do you remember why he's on the island of Patmos? He's been exiled. He's been judged by the emperor Domitian. Judged to be unworthy of living within society and exiled so that he is not a toxic influence on the culture. What has John done except borne witness to the truth of the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth? The man has lived an upright life. He's done nothing wrong. It's one thing, uh, isn't it, to be in prison knowing you have done absolutely nothing wrong, but in fact, you actually did something that was good. We don't live much in our part of the world with that kind of problem. We have sometimes those problems, but generally, generally, that does not characterize our judicial system. But what an awful thing if you had been like John, imprisoned in exile, and judged by the emperor of this world anyway. Would you not wonder, is there not a throne somewhere on which someone sits who dispenses ultimate true justice? Does it not exist? Or are we just left to be flayed by the world's judges? John looked and saw the throne. What a source of hope for our sorry world. Do you believe it? Do you live in that reality? That there is a throne set? Do you think Vladimir Putin, does he live under that reality? Does Zelensky, does the American president? How about France? Do our leaders really, when it comes down to it, make their decisions? absolutely convinced that that throne is fixed 
and they themselves one day will stand before it. It changes, doesn't it, the way you look at the world fundamentally, that that throne stands there fixed. Do you see the power of the symbol? It's not just decode it. It's let the obvious connotation of it sink in and fill your horizon. Who's worthy to execute the judgment of God and bring real justice into this world? And John looks over and sees the regal, powerful image of a conquering lion. It says, a lion that has conquered. I made the mistake one day of coming up to a trailer in, on which was set a cage with two lions in it at a Walmart. It was out in front of a Walmart. It was in Texas. Now, no one's surprised, are they, that some people were pulling lions in a cage and had the trailer out parked out in front of a Walmart in Texas, right? And I just couldn't help myself. How often do you get this close to lions? I went up to the back of the trailer and put myself about four feet from the cage. I knew they had a reach, right? And one of the lions came over. They were mid-sized lions. None of them had a big mane or anything. One of the lions came right over, and the other one was just trailing a little bit. It was about 10-foot, 12-foot cage or so. And the second one came, and as soon as it hit the bars, it roared. A full roar. Now, I've heard a lion or two roar across a zoo. You've heard a lion roar across the zoo? I had never heard a lion roar right in front of me. And I am not exaggerating to say I nearly wet my pants. It's the kind of thing that undid me instantly. That he had the power that if that cage wasn't there, it was total domination. John saw a conquering lion in front of him, and there was no doubt who had the authority and the power to grab that scroll and take its claws and rip out its seals and carry out the judgment of God. But why was John worthy? Uh, Jesus, excuse me, Jesus. Why was this lion worthy? of this. Who is worthy to open the seals? And then John looks and sees something different. Not now a lion in all its power, but sees a lamb butchered. A lion doesn't normally allow itself to be butchered like that, does it? Not a lion wouldn't do that. But this same figure who is the lion, is also the lamb. And he gave up his very strength, his body, his glory, his power. And he let the governments of this world butcher him. When he was a righteous figure. And God raised him from the dead to reverse the wrong done to him. 
and he alone is now worthy, fully worthy, to judge the governments of this world. You see, the symbols are revelation. (laughs) They're not obfuscation. They're not confusing us. Their aim is to enlighten and to reveal and to fill our imaginations out of the knowledge store we have and move us to worship and move us to trust and to confidence. All right? So anyway, uh, just one attempt uh, at trying to show how the symbols are revelation. At the beginning of the Gospel of John, you'll remember that uh, we're told Jesus is something. He's a, we're given a symbol for him. Do you remember that symbol? The Word. You'll, I'm showing you now, it's not just in the visions. It's not only in the visions that these symbols are surrounding the Bible, but in the narrative sections as well. Jesus is the Word of God. That's a metaphor. It's a symbol. The next figure you're introduced to, John the Baptizer. But then when they ask John the Baptizer who he is, do you remember what he says? He doesn't say, I am the Word, does he? But he says something kind of like it. He says, I am the... Do you want to remember what he says? I am the voice. He says a few things. Yeah, you could get that right. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. That's a symbol, isn't it? But these are, again, supposed to tell us something. What's the difference between a word and a voice? Audio, yeah. I think that's the gist of it. The word is the actual thing, and the voice is how it gets conveyed, right? Someone might have a wonderful voice. That doesn't mean the the words they say are worth much, right? Other people's words are sublime and profound. They don't got much of a voice. Okay? In the case of John the Baptizer, in the beginning of John, the play on these symbols should be obvious. John's role, he's just a voice. You see? Not the thing so much to focus on. He's just the conduit of the word that is coming behind him. And it's the word you want to be thinking about that is said, and not so much the voice that conveys it. You see? It's revelation. The symbols are meant to highlight something that's sort of obvious. It's built into the connotation of the symbol. All right? So, um, uh, and we are going to talk about Daniel too. Yeah? <laughs> uh, so, what do, why are we talking about? When we get to Daniel, you see, we're not going to talk about Daniel. Uh, for the last, what, I don't remember what time we end here, honestly. What time do we end? 10 till. Okay, is that, is that the truth? <laughs> All right, that was your chance. You could have said quarter till. Gotten me out of here really fast. <laughs> Had some extra time. <laughs> you blew that. Um, so, uh, yeah, we've got these medals, and we've established that they keep being used. They're not just in one vision, they're in multiple visions, which elevates their, their value, right? Like, I really need to understand what these symbols are because they're so 
the, the, the book is replete with them, uh, especially in the first half. Uh, so, medals. Now, I'm going to ask you what these medals are revealing. And all I mean is what is the obvious connotation of medals. I don't want you to think you have to come up with some graduate seminar, seminar answer. That's, don't think like that. I actually almost never think like that. I don't think I'm capable of graduate seminar <laughs> answers, to be honest. I'm always saying the simple things. I made the mistake one time years ago. I was at Columbia uh, in the University of New York, and I was uh, in, a, in a graduate seminar I didn't apparently belong in, and there was, uh, <laughs> there was a poem uh, we were reading from Sappho, and um, it had uh, Aphrodite, the goddess, being um, carried by, uh, pulled by um, uh, sparrows, sparrows. And I made the observation that when you contrast that with Homer's chariots, which are being pulled by sweating steeds, stallion horses, and so on, there's quite a different image, you know. And I thought maybe because Sappho was a woman and these were love poems, that that probably played a role. These delicate sparrows were a beautiful image being pulling chariots, but not maybe the most masculine image. I thought that was a fairly simple, obvious thing. And I was told by every other person in the class, including the professor, that all, it turned out I was the only male in the room. I was wrong. <laughs> I was told I was wrong. I was just trying to get at the obvious, you know, the obvious thing. Uh, so, metal. What are these metals having to do with? So let's try and fish out a couple ideas. What do you think? What might metals, when you think of these different metals, what did you say? What did you say? Strengths, value, purity, usage. Yeah, they're used. Yeah, all very good answers, right? Uh, it might help a little bit, right, for us to remember that uh, in the ancient world, <laughs> before I don't know how how long ago it was, when you had a coin, right, a silver coin, the silver coin was actually silver. Yeah, even even the copper pennies used to be copper. I think isn't that right? <laughs> so we you know we don't really look at our currency anymore as having the value actually in the dollar. You know the dollar is worth nothing. The paper is worth virtually nothing. Uh, but that wasn't the way it was in Daniel's day. When you had something of of what we think of as currency, money, what we call money, I should say more, the money was in the thing itself. You had a silver thing which weighed a certain amount, and that's exactly the going rate of purchasing that amount of metal. So, to your point, value, strength as well, of course, value. Different values, but different values in different ways, right? Some of the metals you think of different values in terms of their beauty. For example, you want a wedding ring? Most of the time, not always, it's going to be uh, gold, right? Have some gold very high value because of its aesthetics. It's not only a rare, precious in the sense it's rare, it's got a, an aesthetic value that's higher than iron in most people's eyes. It doesn't tarnish. doesn't tarnish, yeah. Uh, and then also you have uh, silver and so on. But then when you get into these statues, to your point, uh, this giant statue that Nebuchadnezzar saw, the head of gold, chest of silver, midriff of bronze, legs of iron, that's the way you got to do it, right? Because if you put the legs of gold 
gold's a soft metal, and with all that weight on top of it, it's just going to fall over, you know? Right? You need, you need something that has legs of iron if it's going to stay up there. So that the strength, the very various strengths, the value and strength matters. But whether it's value and strength, value and beauty, value in, term, value in terms of currency, the point is it's all values. And that is the main idea we're going to be working with in these visions and in these various stories as we look at them. And it's a big part of Daniel, is values. Daniel had been ripped out of Jerusalem and brought as a young teenager, perhaps 12, 13, to Babylon, a foreign country. Probably most of you have traveled at some point to a foreign country. And sometimes when you get to foreign countries, particularly if you haven't traveled much, or the first time, and you, you know, walk through Rome or something, and it's just like everything is hitting you that's different. The smells are different, the trees are different, the foliage is different, sometimes you see different flowers, and music, and of course people are speaking Italian, whatever, and all of these differences strike you. And you see different road signs. If you're driving, you really see the differences, right? And I don't know about you, but you start making judgments about those differences, do you not? You either like the differences or you dislike the differences. <laughs> you don't like it that they drive on the wrong side of the road in England when you're trying to do 15 roundabouts on your way to the grocery store and you've never gone through them on the wrong side, right? And that difference is a negative. It's something inferior and so on from your perspective. But what's the true perspective? My subjective experience of it and what I think as an American? What's a 35,000 foot divine perspective? Different countries have many different practices, different cultures. And Daniel and the Jews, many of them, got taken to Babylon. And what God did through Daniel is he offered commentary on the values of the Gentile pagan culture of Babylon, which was very different from Jerusalem. He offered an evaluation, a critique, only it's a divine critique. And some of the commentary from God, some of the critique is surprising. Some of it is positive. It's not as though everything about Babylon was rotten to its core because it was pagan Gentile culture. That wasn't the case. Sometimes God offered a positive critique of their values. And of course, on many other things, he offered a negative critique of their values. So the book of Daniel is a critique of the culture of Babylon. And the medals are the useful symbol for much of that critique. Because if God says something's like gold, you should assume that's good <laughs> in lots of ways. If he says something's like iron, well, I suppose it's good in strength, not so good in beauty in other ways, whatever that means. 
Okay? So the book of Daniel then, a divine critique, and these symbols are going to be revelation of the truth of that critique of the culture. It's worth noting how much of the culture, uh, the cultural critique still applies to our world, to our culture, and to other cultures as well. All right? So, uh, next week, we'll just start. Uh, we're not just going to, of course, go through the book of Daniel and try and explain all this. Daniel will critique different parts of the culture. Chapter 1, he's in school. He's in university. Bless you. So guess what he's going to critique? Their educational systems. And you get a critique of their education. If you're involved in education in America, it might be worthwhile for you as a Christian to look at his critique of their education and how that might inform your view here, now. And then in chapter 2, we get into political power. In chapter 3, into patriotism and loyalty. And in chapter 4, into cultural success, growth. In chapter 5, wealth, and so on. And you go through the different features of culture, and you get critiques of these different things. We're not going to talk about all those, of course. We're just going to be isolating the role of visions and symbols and interpretations of them and taking various pieces of them uh, throughout the book and talking about them, okay? But this sort of sets the the tone. I might mention one or two other things about the book later, so you might find this useful to be uh, to bring this uh, map back uh, next week if, if, if you're here. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the power of your word to reveal the truth and the strength of the truth to our imaginations. And we thank you for these symbols that allow us, allow our knowledge to feed on them that we might have some imaginative powers that get uh, filled up and move us, move our souls to understand these things, to be more confident and ultimately to find your glory and what is so fundamentally good about you, about the ministry of Jesus and what he accomplished in salvation and still is ongoing just as vibrantly today as it was at his departure when the apostles headed out into the world. We pray to be a part of it and to learn these lessons and to put them into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.